Um, I'm John, and I have the privilege of being a member here at Oak Grove, and uh, an incredible privilege to be able to step in when somebody asks, and I think that that's a thing that God really wants all of us to do, is to be ready in season and out of season, and there's been a lot of flexing and pivoting. Uh, I know Clint was saying, man, people got sick, and people had to fill in at a you know, marriage conference this weekend. And I know Brady was willing to just jump in and do the sermon and he got stuff and uh, his voice started going. So you're getting me today. We're gonna continue to look at some of the things of Jesus. Um, I'm probably gonna mess up Brady's plan on how he's gonna progress through the red letters for a little bit. Uh, but I was just looking at this. So this is throwaway stuff, but I will encourage you, um, we, are reading together as, as an Oak Grove family, if you want to, the entire Word of God. And I would encourage you to do that. But I would encourage you to do a little bit more. Um, I had one of the people that discipled really young, thick-headed me when we were first on the mission field in Vienna, Austria. Uh, Tom Rayleigh challenged me one time to read the Gospels in a year. And I said, man, I read the Gospels in a weekend. I mean, you know, done. And he goes, no, that's your problem. <laughs> like, like, right there. Stop right there. He goes, no, what I want you to do really is to take a year and read the Gospels. Take a month and read Matthew. And read it over and over and over. And again, this is how old I am. He said, get it on cassette. <laughs> you know, but listen to it. And read different translations, but just spend a month in there and then go on to Mark and to Luke and, and do that. And so I, that's been a discipline that I do every now and then. I will take a year and just read through the Gospels and be with Jesus. Um, and the more you do it, you get into some things where you start going, hey, you know what I really am uh, interested in is I will read through and I will pay particular attention to the questions that people ask Jesus. Um, and sometimes I'll look at, hey, what are the questions that Jesus asked? Which is usually how he answered questions that were presented to him. So that's just kind of throwaway. Spend time in these red letters with us. I mean, on your own, encounter Jesus in there because uh, it, is, it is worth every minute of it. Uh, that's not wasted at all. And we're looking at this section really kind of, we've been in Matthew through a part of his book that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And so I'm going to talk today a little bit about the wise and foolish builder right there at the end of chapter 7. But it really, this whole story started back in Matthew 5. Just for context, he sat the multitudes down and began to teach them. And so he's covered all of those things like the Beatitudes and that you should bless those who persecute you and that you should love one another. And that, you know, he has said, hey, the law says one thing, but I say, Brady went over last week, you know, the law says don't, have a, don't commit adultery, but I've told you not to lust and how our heart and greed gets into that. I mean, all that is covered. And at the culmination of this sermon, he really turns a corner and really presents people with a choice. I mean, we always have that choice. Uh, but he turns and really kind of gives the invitation at the end of probably the greatest sermon ever delivered. Um, 
Can you imagine hearing Jesus teach on all that stuff in one setting? That's so amazing. But that's where he is. And what we know about Jesus, he was a master storyteller as well. And he told parables where he drew from shared common experience of the people that he was with and, and drove home some significant points. But this parable, so known to a bunch of us, most of us kind of know, oh yeah, because if you grew up in church, you sang the song about the wise man built his house upon the, you know. We, we, we just have made that a, a thing. And sometimes familiarity is our worst enemy because we fail to go, what are you really wanting to say to me today, Lord, from this? And what was really said then? Because I think his audience heard this maybe a little different than the way that we always take it. Um, I am going to talk about storm-proofing our life a little bit. Uh, here's what God doesn't promise. He doesn't promise storm-free. He doesn't say there will be a place or a way that you could live where you will not have storms. Anybody that tells you that, uh, they're trying to sell you something, and they're lying. You know, and you just need to kind of be shy of that. But he talks about um, turning this corner as we're looking at obeying Jesus in everyday life. Really, he says, hey, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And so he's taught all of this. Hey, what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom? Marcy and I have had the privilege of living in several different countries, and countries have different cultures and languages and customs. And you go, wow, if you live in Germany, it's kind of like this. If you live in Austria, it's kind of like this. Romanians do things this way um, and those kind of places. People in the kingdom ought to live a way that sets them apart from the world. That if we're going to live and follow Jesus, how we love one another, how we live, how we life out everything that Jesus has been going over in this Sermon on the Mount ought to set us apart as citizens. Now, I will tell you, this is not about performance, though. Because as I read the Sermon on the Mount, the one thing that I always come to is how impossible that is to do. Because living the Christian life, folks, is not hard. It's impossible. None of us can do it. There's only one person that has ever been able to live the Christian life out. Anybody know who that is? Jesus, come on, Sunday school answers. It's softballs. It's not Brady asking you tough questions. I'm here giving the easy ones. Jesus is the only person that's ever been able to, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, that's him. That's how he lives. What he wants to do by putting his Holy Spirit in us is produce that life in us. You cannot do it on your own. You need to do it independent, independence on him as we walk. But that, it should look like that. Jesus wants to his, express himself and do things through me and through you. And so that's kind of where we're getting at this point. And then he says, hey, look, be forewarned. Um, as I think about that though that need I thought of as, as Clint kind of read Revelation and played that last song I thought you know what the sermon on the mount should point us to another mount the mount of Calvary where Jesus made all this possible where he said look I know what I've just told you it seems impossible but I'm going to conquer sin and death and give you my spirit and that those two mounts, man, they are so connected in what we do here with this. 
Um, I'm just going to read, and I'm going to read a little bit before 24. So this is just God's word. Holy Spirit, come and make your word alive uh, and have it transform all of us today collectively into the image of your son, Jesus. Um, Starting in verse 21 of Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as teachers of the law. You've heard Brady say, as we've gone through these red-letter things, that that. Jewish tradition rabbis would go and teach and often they would depend on what other people had said or taught and their authority was based on other agreed upon teachings or questions and Jesus just said the only person I quote is me (laughs) And 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 it was amazing and he taught with amazing kind of authority And so, and there are five sections in Matthew, if you just want to keep a scorecard at home going, and where Matthew breaks up teachings that Jesus has, and at the conclusion of every one of those sections, it says, when Jesus finished saying these things. Um, And it's kind of like, you know, he's bringing in this new covenant. He is this rabbi teaching, and as a, he's greater than Moses, but like Moses came and gave the Torah You know, Jesus is giving five significant kinds of teaching, and it says when he finished doing this, here's where they were. Um, And this contrast is really, he's flipped a corner in seven where he is no longer, he's talking about those who hear and those who do. Like James says, we should be not just hearers of, of the word, but doers of the word. And they are, it's a both and. It's not either or. We both need to hear God's word and then act upon it. Because if we just hear it, you know, part of, if you look at the geography of Israel, the Jordan River, which has all kinds of symbolism in it, flows down into what we call the Dead Sea. And one of the reasons that the Dead Sea is dead is because it doesn't have an outlet. It just has things flowing into it. And if you are somebody who just is a consumer of Christianity and there is no life coming out of you into others, I guarantee you, you are on the pathway to becoming your own little private dead sea. That God calls us to be conduits. That he calls, he says, take my word in, but then you need to, I mean, live it out in big and small ways. 
in the way that we love one another. He said, people will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. Um, and so at this talk, I think what he's really saying, though, is here's all this stuff about the kingdom. I want to talk a little bit about judgment because I will return and I will judge fruit. And I will say, and people will be shocked, and they'll say, but Jesus, didn't we do all this stuff in your name? And he's going, yeah, but what you, that didn't matter. What matters is the fact that I did not know you. That relationship wasn't there. It, it doesn't matter if you come to church every Sunday or go on mission trips, read your Bible. I mean, those matter, but those in themselves, apart from knowing Jesus, accepting him as Lord, now, there's something tricky going on here, too, because Jesus is saying, um, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And when you say and call Jesus Lord, you're acknowledging the fact that he is king and ruler and that he will be the one who sits in judgment. And, and his audience, I think, when he told the story of the wise and foolish builder, that storm is really kind of, he's saying, look, the test, the proof, the evidence of you knowing me and being my disciple will be revealed in the storm. And ultimately, I think it's at judgment. You know, Paul writes in Corinth, you know, our works will go through the fire and they'll either come out as refined, precious gems and gold or they will come out as hay, wood, and stubble that's just consumed, it's dross, and it's burned up. But I think in a practical way too, let's look at these builders. Um, uh, to me, there's two types. There, you're, there's the real and the fake. There's the people who really are, know Jesus, following him, authentic. And then there's a bunch of people who just play at it. And he goes, those people, you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by what's produced. And you will see what happens when the storms come along. Now, there's some interesting commonality in this story as well, too. Because to me, they're all building something. Okay, let's look. These people, there's two builders. They share so much in common. Everybody in this story is building a house. Yeah? Everybody in this story is going to have storms. The difference is, as Jesus comes on to you, everybody has a life they're making. You're building your house right now. Maybe some of you literally are building a house, but you've, you've been building your life and your family. Uh, you're growing. You are building this thing, and storms will come into your life. Believe me, John and Marcy Spencer will tell you storms come into your life. The rains will come. They will, you will have storms. Jesus promised it. I mean, he's not trying to fake anybody out. He said, look, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trials. You will have tribulations. But be of good cheer. Why? He says, because I have overcome the world. And the way to withstand those storms is to do the work on one, I'm building it on him as the solid rock. He is my foundation. And Jesus says the way you do that, though, is that you put into practice the things that you have learned and heard from me. You take my word and you actually live it out. You put feet to it. You become my hands and my feet. Now, there's kind of alluvian sand in that part of the world that is very hard packed. 
I mean, Jesus, when he's talking about the guy that's foolish building his house on the sand, it's not like sand in a sandbox or sand at the beach. You know, I mean, that really would be dumb. But it's really kind of hard-packed enough sand that it's like you could build a structure on it, and as long as rains and floods don't come, your house is going to be fine. But what you would have to do is a lot of hard work, because it is hard-packed. You have to break it up, dig it up, excavate it, and get down to the rock that is the foundation. And what trips a lot of us up is those kinds of disciplines of following Jesus where growth initially looks like a lot of undoing and digging. It doesn't look like, oh, the walls are coming up. But we so want the show. We so want the spectacle and to say, oh, look at the numbers and the growth and this and that. And that's evidence that God is working here. And I want to go, maybe, maybe not. You know what? We'll tell when a storm comes along whether or not it was built on the foundation of Jesus and what he had to say or the sand of my self-righteousness and it could be hard packed and the two houses could look identical there's no way to really tell what was built there until a storm comes against it that's that evidence you know in ministry I had a good friend say to me one time hey you know what there you got to think about whether or not you want to grow a dandelion or an oak tree because dandelion will grow overnight I mean, it was not there. The next day, boom, there, flower, bloom, the spectacle, it's all there. But you know how long that thing lasts? Not very long. It's gone, it's withers. You ever try to grow an oak tree for a long time, it looks like nothing's happening. It's like a stick. Same thing is true, like pecan trees. Man, that taproot is the first thing that grows. And for a long time, it looks like nothing's happening because everything that significance that is occurring is occurring beneath the surface of the soil. And for us, sometimes we are in such a hurry to get the walls up that we don't do the diligent work, the obedient work of excavating things and making sure that we are building on the foundation that is Jesus, that we are putting into practice the things that he has to say for us. Because storms will come. And they will come when you least expect them. You know, we, we've lost it in one of our moves. Marcy and I moved back and forth across the ocean a time or two, and she literally had a pillow on which she had sewn. We had a plan, but God had another plan. Because <laughs> that seemed to define our life, and it really still does in some ways. You know, and what kind of went on, the fact that you're having to listen to me this morning is kind of evidence of the fact that sometimes you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Tell, tell him that you know how things are going to shake out. Because that's not going to be the, the case. We have to learn how to hear God and then obey. And it is, and it is discipline, and it is time, and it is through prayer. It is through study, and it is through fellowship. It is through serving one another and serving with one another and proclaiming Jesus and bringing the good news to other kind of folks. It's all of that kind of stuff. But you will not do that just naturally on your own. Won't come. Won't happen. You know, if you've got kids, you've got to teach them how to say please and thank you. You never have to teach a kid how to say mine. <laughs> I mean, you don't. We're, we're hardwired to believe a lie before we believe the truth. 
We, we, are, we are set up on our own. We will always build on sand. You know, I think one of the wisest people I ever met uh, was W.C. was the guy that was our foreman uh, out at the ranch in El Dorado when I was a kid growing up. Not a formally educated guy, but had a lot of wisdom. And a lot of stuff, I didn't realize what he was laying on me when I was hearing it. And it was later, I was like, oh my gosh, like, like a PhD in cowboy. Um, but I remember when I first was, you know, riding my little paint horse around the ranch, I would do a lot of dumb things. And I remember WC sat me down one time and he said, John David, because at that part of the Texas, you don't exist unless you have two names. Everybody was Carla Sue and Joe Ed and John David and Peggy Sue. I mean, you know, on and on. But he said, John David, you teach that horse some you teach that horse something every time you get on his back and he goes in a horse is going to learn a bad habit 10 times faster than he'll learn a good habit and then to make that point he said this amazing thing he goes because a horse is just like a little kid he said you take a little kid out behind the barn and you teach him his abcs he will not have learned them in one hearing but if you go tell him a dirty joke, he'll know it his whole life. And that's us. Our, our tendency as people who build is always going to be to build on the sand of our self-righteousness and not do the work of digging down to the foundation of Jesus, of learning how to spend time with him and his word and learning how, he says it really simple, both people are building houses. Everybody's building a life. Now, the people he's talking about in the story, interesting enough, though, too, it's not talking about, hey, save people and lost people. He's talking to an audience that have all heard his teaching. It's not like the unreached, unknown people. He goes, I'm talking to people that have heard what I had to say, and they're all building a life. They're all building something, and storms are going to come against what they're building. And the difference of these two people is the ones who do what I say and those that don't. The people who put into practice what they've heard me teach and those that have thought they've got it figured out on their own and they don't need to be obedient and following me. Two kinds of builders, two kinds of foundations. And he leaves us with this choice. I mean, here's Jesus going... Here's your choice. You're either going to build and live in the kingdom or you're going to kind of go your own way. Today, you are going to have an opportunity to say, have I been building my house on sand? Am I somebody that I could give this list of stuff I've done and Jesus is going to say, yeah, but I don't know you. You know, my dad always said, it's important. You know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And then he said, but you know, son, it's really not even that. It's really not even who you know, it's who knows you. <laughs> I could think I know somebody, but it doesn't do me any good unless they really know me. And it, what really matters is are we known by Jesus? Do we know Jesus and does he know us? Are we in that fake category? Is our fruit just all plastic? Is, are we building our life and our house on the sand of self-righteousness? Or are we saying, Jesus, I want to obey.
My faith in you is backed up by my obedience to put into practice the things that you've taught me. To not to live for myself, but to live for others. So I'm going to live with just kind of what does that look like? I think if we're, if we're going to put his teachings into practice, well, go back. Look, he covered it. He covered the Beatitudes. He covered how to turn the other cheek, go the other mile, bless those that persecute you. Oh my gosh, love one another. I mean, in a real way. Have your heart transformed by me so that you understand it's just not performance, it's actually how my heart aligns with God's heart towards how I think, that I'm selfless, not greedy, that I am, I am called to be a citizen of this kingdom. And as a result, I am called to live like Jesus, who ultimately demonstrated his obedience to the Father by laying down his life for us. And so to me, it's, it's not hard. I'm going to give us three things to kind of think about on what does that look like. If I'm going to be a wise builder, what do I do? Here's the first one. Love God with everything you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says the whole book of the law is summed up like that. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's how we show God love. And, you know, it's not just singing and worshiping. It's how we love one another. Being compassionate, kind, forgiving, generous. Those are the things that mark citizens of the kingdom. Secondly, and he's said this earlier in his stuff, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it's that latter part that's so important. You know, the wise builder just didn't hear God's word. He heard it and he did it. We just don't seek God's kingdom, but we seek his kingdom and his righteousness. It's kind of like we truncate. We kind of want to make these hard things Jesus say palatable sometimes. You know, he said, Jesus did not, well, he did say it, but it's out of context. If you ever hear anybody say, the truth will set you free. Anybody, anybody have those words aimed at you sometime? Maybe you've said them. Okay, that's not what the Bible says. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The freedom of the truth doesn't come about until we know it. And knowing it means just like a wise builder, you hear it and you do it. And the last thing I'll say, yeah, love God, love your neighbor. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And thirdly, take up your cross and follow him. Jesus' invitation to us is still come and follow me. And to do that, he says, you need to die to yourself, not try to save your own life. Don't worry about preserving that building. I'll take care of it if you've built it on the foundation of me. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. That is what citizenship in the kingdom looks like. Today, ask yourself, what kind of fruit are you producing? Does Jesus know you? And you're building something. Is it going to last against the storms or is it on sand of self-righteousness? You have a chance to make those changes today. In fact, the band's probably going to come play. Clint's going to come sing songs. <laughs> And you'll have a chance to meet with Brady or Clint or our prayer people down here in the front. So um, let me pray for us, and then we will begin our chance to respond.
The altar is free for anybody that's up here. Father, your name is holy. Thank you. We ask that your will and your kingdom would come and reign and be right here at Oak Grove, just like it is in heaven where you're in charge, which is how we want it. And we trust you for those kinds of things. I pray that you would just allow people to spit out any of the stuff that is me and take in and be transformed by the things that are true about you and your word. And that together, all of us here would be transformed into the image of your son, Jesus. And sir, if there are folks here who honestly are thinking that they have just been coming, they've been doing, but they don't know you, that they would get that taken care of this morning. And it's in the name of our King and Lord Jesus that I pray.